0: Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all its resources for free. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. So let me give you a little bit of context of what we have going on. So we've been inside of Colossians 1. Um, We're in the series Rooted where we're talking about what it looks like to actually be rooted in Christ and be rooted in His church. And so we start off with this first chapter and I'm just going to go back and highlight some of the things that were said to bring us to the text that we're in today, right? So Paul is talking to the Colossians at Colossae and this city, I just want to give you an idea, this city is a flourishing city, all right? So they are, um, they on the trade routes or whatever, so the city is getting money paper is flowing and they have all of the problems we have in America. They had idolatry going on, they had all kind of false religions going on and they had the fight of, you know, classism and what is, what does it look like to actually be in the midst of, you know, to be a believer in the midst of like a society that's swirling with all these things. Y'all know what I'm talking about so far? You ever like wake up and look at Facebook or whatever and you about to go into a depression because everybody got like 50 million opinions about what you should be concerned about, be about You know, what beautiful is, what ugly is, how fit you should be and all that, whatever and everything. I just kick back and just eat some more donuts and keep it moving. You get where I'm coming from? So, but there's all this stuff swirling and going on. But these people are actually holding to the faith in the middle of this thing, right? In the middle of society doing what it does, the world being the world. They are holding on to Christ Jesus. And so Paul is actually writing them a letter because he wants to encourage them. So in Colossians 1, verse 3, I'm going to break this all up and just run you through it really fast to bring you where we're at. He says, we always thank God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. So think about this. Paul is writing a letter to them. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So he's acknowledging. He said, Y'all have crazy love, and it's rooted in the fact that, you know, Jesus has died for you and in the hope that is laid up for you in heaven. Y'all have an eternal perspective in mind, and it's impacting the way you live in the now. And he says, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. And listen to this, and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so that's verses 3 to 7. I want to read verse 9 to you because this is one of the things he adds on. He says, and so from that day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so he gets his good news from e telling them that yo bro Colossae is popping or whatever. The church, they're loving Jesus. They're going after God. He's not talking about crazy stuff. Like, he's not saying, like, oh, man, yo, the church is crazy. We just got mad purple lights or whatever. The other day I just swung through on a harness or whatever. Like, I preached from, like, I was levitating in the air or whatever. They loved it. Like, he's not talking about that. He's like, yo, they are actually, like, loving Jesus for real, right? Like, they are talking about eternity. Like, they are giving of themselves and loving their neighbor because they're like, what do I got to lose? God then gave me everything, so, of course, I can pour myself. Y'all get where I'm coming from? Y'all with me? So that's what, he's, that's what they're talking about. And Paul doesn't just say, yo, go ahead, keep doing your thing. He actually turns and starts going harder on the gospel. He's like, we heard that and we've been praying all the more. We've been praying for you more. We heard that you're doing great and now we're praying harder. And then he follows up in the text and he starts preaching the gospel to them more. He doesn't say it seems like you got the gospel." It seems like you got enough, like y'all got this thing down. Paul knows how crafty the enemy is, right? You ever be on your, on your, on your you know, on your Christian thizzle one day, you're coming out, you're singing Kirk Franklin or something, you're stomping all through the house, stomp, you know what I'm saying? And then next thing you know, later on, you're in a depression because you done slipped and sinned or something. He's like, wretch that I am. I'm no good, Jesus, you know what I'm saying? Like he knows the enemy's crafty. He's got stumbling blocks. You start feeling good about yourself, and before you know it, you 't forgot about Jesus, and you just feeling good about yourself and left Jesus in the dust. You get where I'm coming from? So he's, like, telling them, like, hold on to Jesus, right? And he's preaching about how big God is. He's preaching about how amazing is it, he is. In verse 23 says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So he's doubling down. And that leads us to our verse for today. Colossians 1, verse 24. He says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. So, I I went through all of that I just told you about, and then I got to that text right there, and, you know, first thing when I read it, I got a little attitude with it, because I was like, you know, he says, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, and I was like was well, you kind of talking slick about Christ or whatever, like in, in Christ's word. Like, you know, kind of, I got offended a little bit. But so I was like, we got to figure out what is actually going on in the text. And I'm going to take you in a second. But let's first talk about this rejoicing aspect. Does anybody in here rejoice over suffering? Like, is that what comes to your mind when you think about suffering? Right? Nothing? Nothing, nothing like that? I don't think about rejoicing when, I come, when it comes to suffering. So I'm like... Either Paul is trying to, like, you know what I'm saying, like, play extra Christian here with it. So what does he actually know that would actually make him rejoice? And so what we're going to hit today is this rejoice part, the suffering part, and the for your sake part. He says, now rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Let me tell you some things that Paul knows, right? Paul knows something to be able to rejoice in suffering. Paul knows the gospel. He knows that Jesus actually righteous, died for his unrighteousness, right? He knows that God's son, Jesus, died for him on a bloody cross. And Paul, a proclaimed wretch, knows that God's mercy runs deep. You get around, y'all with me so far? Like he's actually, it's not even that he knows, but he actually believes it. Y'all with me so far? Say this with me. There's a difference between knowing and believing. Say it. So, I was telling somebody this the other day, the other day I was like walking and kind of talking to myself, and I was thinking through some stuff that I was struggling through, and as I was thinking through it, I started saying to myself, I started saying the gospel to myself. You know, I was like, you know, the gospel is this right here, whatever, Jesus came, this and that, da-da-da, whatever, and it like, it sounds real good and extra Christian like what I'm saying, right? Like I'm quoting the gospel to myself when I'm going through like a situation, and so I thought through the gospel, and then I went back to the situation at hand. And it's like God backed me up for a second because I realized what I just did was I just got on my theological grind real quick with no heart involved. So I actually quoted the gospel to myself, but I didn't believe the gospel that I just quoted because I went back to the issue that I was having, which was the issue wasn't the issue. My lack of belief in the gospel was the issue. Do you get where I'm coming from? It's like you ever talk to somebody and they're kind of like, yeah, you know, so-and-so really, really gets on my nerves and all that. And I know I should forgive them because the word of God says this, this, and that. But, yo, somebody about to get choked. You ever heard somebody, like, say something like that? And so, like, in your mind, you're like, well, you just quoted theology. You just talked about what the Bible says and you actually know it. But you don't believe it because somebody's going to get choked. Y'all get where I'm coming from? So it's like we can have absolutely amazing theology and be able to quote all this stuff with our eyes closed, but the only thing that has power is believing, right? God gives us the power to actually believe, because when we believe, it empowers us, right? You turn from your sin when you actually believe the word of God, or else it's a self-righteous endeavor. Y'all with me so far? So Paul actually believes this stuff. Paul, a self-proclaimed wretch. He believes that the mercy and forgiveness that is afforded through the cross because of what Jesus did on the cross is so deep that he could actually be forgiven. That him who was, who was once a killer of God's children, right, infamous for it, is now a child of God. He believes that God's mercy is actually that crazy. Y'all with me so far? I was talking to one of my friends yesterday and we were just talking about, like, sin and forgiveness and everything else. And, um, and, you know, one of the things they stated to me, they said, man, they said, I, I you know, I was just talking about God's grace and, 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 and believing in God and, and God's mercy or whatever. And, like, they were struggling with something. I was like, God, you know, the blood of Christ wipes that out. You know, it's just a matter of believing. And one of the things they said, they said, man, it just feels like, it feels like me having to come back to God and ask for repentance about the same thing, is just abusive. Y'all ever felt that way before? You ever felt like God, like I just swore to you 20 minutes ago I would never ever do this again and I'm right back here again. I, I just feel disgusted. I'm, I, I'm not even gonna waste your time with coming. You ever, you ever felt that way before? So we were talking, in my, in my, like I said, my friend says, it just feels like it's abusive. And to him I respond, I said, I said, it actually is abusive. Because our sin is actually abusive. It's the it's the 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 cravings and the and the the vow intent of our flesh is actually abusive to Jesus. It's abusive to God. Our sin is that wretched. That's why Paul uses that colorful term, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me. He says, I'm actually, I'm a Abusive with my sin. It's actually disgusting. And the thing about it is that God's grace and mercy is the only punching back that can take that kind of abuse. You get where I'm coming from? It actually runs that deep. Like, think about it. Paul is a murderer of God's children, specifically God's children. Oh, you preaching that Jesus stuff? You got to die. And God still saves Paul and makes him one of His. He actually pins most of the Bible that we actually read out of. Do you get where I'm coming from? Like, if the if the if God's grace isn't abusive, if it, if it's not something you can abuse, then mean you are done. Cause we ain't that cute. Our sin is not that shallow. We don't play in the kiddie pool when it comes to come to sin. We we in the deep end. We in the deep blue ocean. And Satan's jaws out there, like I don't remember the song, but anyway. You get where I'm coming from? So God's grace. Paul is convinced. He doesn't just know the theology. He actually believes this. He believes it. And what it has done is taking him from the person with the sword killing children of God to believing he is actually a child of God, and he is actually lavishing his life at the service of God and worship to him, right? Not earning his way because he knows that he could never earn his way and earn his earn, you know, earn favor with God through his actions after what he's done. Nothing switches him to the, to the to out of the dark side to the good side, but the blood of Jesus. Do you understand? He believes the gospel, he believes the gospel. That's what he believes for himself, present, he believes that there's power through Christ, that there's true love, that there's eyes to see. His eye, the scales have fallen off. He now sees himself, and God has allowed him to see, and there's actually hope for the present. There's hope. Any of y'all do any kind of work where you see people suffering all the time? Are or you are, you are close to it in proximity where kids get killed? People are suffering, dying. They live in a nightmare to most people. It doesn't look like, um, like what the world says comfort in living a good, healthy life looks like, but it looks like people are just getting slaughtered every single day. You stay close to that long enough, you stop believing that there's any hope in anything. The gospel is eternal hope. The gospel's hope for whoever you even blame for making that happen. Whoever you think is the enemy who is actually causing all of that slaughter and the systems that you are thinking are corrupt, just like Paul was the one who was at the, the person who was at the will on destroying believers and followers of Jesus, God's grace is so scandalous, it even swallows that up. It's the only hope we actually have for such a gross situation as our sin. Y'all with me so far? So it's hope, it's hope in the present. It's hope in the present. It's the thing that when we are walking through this earth and we are looking at all of this stuff, and I was talking to somebody yesterday, I know I talked to mad people yesterday. I know I keep saying I was talking to somebody yesterday. I'm actually not saying it for effect, I really did talk to this many people yesterday, all right? It's just the way my life goes, all right? My wife will tell you. I'll be in the house moving or whatever. I'll be like, what's, who, what? Hold, I'm pulling another line. But anyway, I was on the phone. I was talking to somebody yesterday, and the person I was talking to is at like a very, you know, prestigious university and everything, and they're getting to all these conversations about like social injustice and all these different things and a lot of amazing speakers coming in and all that kind of stuff, and we're, we're talking through all these different dynamics, And I said to them, I said, man, I said, so what have you learned from this? You know what I'm saying? Like, you're like, man, you're like at an amazing university with all these professionals and everything. I said, "Uh, what have you learned? And they said, nothing. So what do you mean? I've learned that nobody here has the answer. I said, so you, you, you're, you're in the room because of, because of the esteem of the school you're in, the university that you're in, you have some of the biggest people, you have access to like, like people we see on TV. I'm like, you didn't get nothing from them? Nothing. And this person, I've always told them, I said, the more you get in the back rooms, the more you're gonna find out there's no answers back there. And I said, it's gonna be heartbreaking it's going to make you feel hopeless. But while, it, it, while, this, while this hopelessness is trying to actually get a hold of you, the hope of the gospel is going to make more sense. You, it, it's going to cause you to stop falling for whatever, whatever little fake paradise story you want inside of your mind, whatever, however you want to sanitize the world. Like our maturity and our growth, a lot of it what, it, what it looks like is actually us starting to believe what the gospel says. That's what it actually looks like. Like, we want, like, you know, to make this kind of heaven on the world, in the world or whatever. But get in the back room of politics. It'll break your heart. Get inside of the best university or whatever in the world. It'll break your heart. Get inside of the White House or whatever where you think they have all the answers or whatever. They don't know nothing. I've been to all of them I'm talking about. There's nothing there. I, was a, I felt like a naive fool every time. And God just would say, you keep looking for something. It's only in this word. That's it. This is, this, is why, this is why the, the wretchedness, the, the sin is so rampant. It's corrupted every single nook and cranny. That's why the blood of Jesus is the only thing that can do it. You get where I'm coming from? So Paul, he's rejoicing because he's going from death death to life because of the blood of Jesus. He's rejoicing because in a world that keeps trying to feed him hopelessness, he has the hope inside of him that he preaches to people and he sees their life illuminated with eternal hope, with Jesus Christ. Y'all with me so far? So that's why he's rejoicing in his suffering. He has the future hope. No more pain, all our tears wiped away, heirs in Christ Jesus. Eternal salvation from damnation and wrath to come for all workers of iniquity. I don't know about you, I done worked some iniquity. I done did some things for I wish I could erase out of my mind. I wish they just wouldn't have happened, right? And I can't even go back and just fix them. You can't turn back the clock, right? So that gospel tastes delicious then. Because God's in the business of actually wiping away our transgressions and iniquities. It doesn't make sense to our mind. Because the way we even deal with each other with people is like, you cross us, then you get it. Am I right? It's cold of the streets. You violate, we'll throw you in the trunk. It's somebody's not even sending to, to us sometimes, some more. It's like, that's just the way it actually works. But God bringing hope to a broken world, right? Paul is rejoicing in suffering for the sake of the church, right? For the sake of the body. He says, for your sake. So Paul knows these things. He knows gospel promises. He knows that Jesus has died, that he came, that he died, that he resurrected. He knows that he gives us power in this very moment, that in a world full of lies, he has truth. He knows that there is a future promise. I always make this scenario for you or whatever, but like if I tell you, you need to, you got to go stay out in the streets and be homeless for a year, but after that year, you, you're going you're gonna to get a billion dollars. Who would take me up on that deal? Just one year out in the streets. I'm, I'm, go, I'm out there. I'm out there. I'm telling you. I'm out there chilling or whatever. It doesn't matter. Whatever needs to happen. I'm, I'm out there so happy. So happy. One year, we good. Straight up, we good to go. We're out there. I'm good to go. We're good. I know, I know it's an ill example, but the example is based on the concept of there's a, there's a hope. Hope changes everything, right? Even if you hate being there in the situation, it's going to be a little bit different. It's not going to be as hard as it normally would. You know what I'm saying? You might just spend a year window shopping like, hmm. Every time a car goes by, you would be like, that's the new Bugatti? Okay. <laughs> You know, people mistreating you because you asking, you be like, what's the stick on that? And they're like, yo, man, like, get away from my car. i like, I'll see you, I was, whatever. <laughs> anyway, anyway, I was just asking, you know. He struts a little different. Hope has that kind of effect. It does that kind of thing. You feel me? Let's talk about suffering. Let me give you some of the synonyms for suffering so we can fully feel the effect of it, right? So agony, anguish, distress, excruciation, hurt, misery, pain, um, torment, um, torture, travail, tribulation. Suffering is completely anti our culture, right? The other day I was walking in my kid's school and no joke I heard this little girl say this. She was with a group of friends and she says, you know, if a person doesn't have AirPods, they're poor. And it made me so mad. I was just like, my God, I can't believe, like, you know what I'm saying? I just was like, what? You know, because I still, I, got, I just got AirPods or whatever. I just got them. You know what I'm saying? So, like, you know, a little bit in my self-righteousness, I was like, I wanted to flip them out in front of, like, I'm in, you know what I'm saying? You know, but but also, I've been around here, like, sitting in front of people trying to untangle my joints for the last, like, nine years. Like, I'd be like, you know how they, they, they get, whatever, you'd be like, you'd be like, yeah, I don't even want to hear the song no more. I'm done. Like, for real, like, but, like, I was like, my God, how spoiled are we, right? But, like, that classism, that sinfulness in the heart, whatever, is anti-cultural. But nevertheless, Paul is saying, I actually rejoice in suffering, right? I rejoice in suffering. In this next part of the text, it says, And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. So in this first part of the text when he says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, all he's doing on this next part part is expounding a little bit. He says, for your sake, but then he says, for the sake of his body, that is the church. And he's basically saying, you are a piece of the body, and the body is the church, the bride of Christ. Y'all with me so far? So he's saying the same thing. And when he says, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, what he's saying right there is my life is actually what, what, we, what we read about Christ but didn't get to stand up close on and feel. He's saying I'm filling up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions. In other words, I'm a living example of what suffering looks like for you. You understand? He's saying Paul is doing time in jail. He's getting beat. He's going through these things, and he actually rejoices in his weakness which is anti-cultural, because it's about being strong and being awesome and being powerful and being with powerful people and being with the cute people in society, but he is actually standing with the people who are, 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 are demonized by society that are the less or whatever, who get lost in the cracks, and he has actually made community with those people. He is inside of um, elite spaces or whatever. he's bearing the reproach of people for the sake of the gospel right? He's bearing their reproach because the love of God is making him selfless, what God has done inside of his heart. So he is actually a living example of what it looks like to suffer. He is a mirroring what Christ went through. Not the same exact thing, I know, but he is living out the fruit of what Christ is doing. Y'all get where I'm coming from? For the sake of the body. It's kind of like this right here. Often when you go like help somebody or you show up, um, you know, you show up to serve somebody when they're in need. They're going through a trial or or a tribulation or something or whatever. I don't know, I I feel as often as a pastor or whatever, there's this, people will tend to call you good because you're there, right? They're like, you're a good person. You're a good guy. Like I was in my time of need, and you were there for me. And I sometimes have to intentionally reject the statement because often I'm not there because I'm good. There's a part of me inside of my flesh that sometimes does not want to actually be there. Can I be real with you? There's a part of me that sometimes does not want to actually wear somebody's weight because I'm too getting crushed under my own. You understand what I'm saying? And so in those moments, and I'm talking from a very practical standpoint, in those moments what I have to do is actually begin to work through the gospel. Do that theology thing that I was talking about earlier, but actually do it in a way where I actually believe it. Like, where the gospel makes me so rich in the moment with what God has actually lavished me with that I feel filled up and actually I'm like, let me go spill this thing out on somebody else. Do you get where I'm coming from? So, the testimony is actually not I'm good, it's that God is good. Do you get where I'm coming from? One of my friends the other day was telling me, like, they're like, man, I messed up on something I had going on or whatever, I had these plans, I wanted to do it like this or whatever, and then I messed up. And I've done the same thing before, Well, I've had plans in my life or whatever, I'm like, I'm gonna do it like this or whatever, you know, I'm going to be an awesome husband and show people what it means to be a great husband, and God just like, let me fall dead on my face. He's like, yo, you're trying to build up a story about how awesome you are. And in his mercy towards me, he's like, I ain't going to let everything fall to pieces, but I'm going to let you know, whatever, you will not get to the end of this story and be waving the flag about how awesome you are. The end of the story is going to be like, but for the grace of God, it's the only way we're going to be here. When we see people that they're down and out or whatever, without the grace of God, there goes me. Do you understand where I'm coming from? Why does the suffering happen? Why does it happen? Why is for the believers suffering, why does it go hand in hand with our walk? Why is it that if you are a Christian, suffering will happen? Let me read John 3:16. You've seen it on 50 billion Hallmark cards, but we're going to read past just the Hallmark card part and see what it really says, right? It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his, only, that he gave his one and only son because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has, has been done in the sight of God. So, this verdict, that light is coming to the world, but people love darkness instead of light. We, all of us, before Christ and his mercy saved us, which had nothing to do with our goodness, but all to do with his. I know it may feel like your heart got warm towards the gospel, but that's nothing but God working through the Holy Spirit to actually turn your gaze from wickedness towards him. Right? He's, he, he's the hero of the story. But the reason suffering comes is because if you proclaim the gospel in this dark world, somebody's coming to try to snuff that light out. Y'all, y'all with me so far? You, you will be amazed how difficult it is just to actually try to bring change to a community that clearly needs change. It won't go, I don't care how novel and noble you think it is, it won't go the way you think it will go. People will look to, to, to snuff it out. You preach Jesus Christ, you're gonna get brutalized. That's why Paul, a lot of his writing is from a jail cell, not for committing crimes, for preaching Jesus Christ. I know we're over here in comfortable America wrapped inside of who's, we didn't wrap the American flag in Christianity or whatever, and whatever we've done. But anyway, you go to other countries right now, there are Christians being burnt alive for their faith. Today, right now. People being lined up and shot. Today, right now. Places of worship being blown up. Today, right now. That question that we don't have to ask ourselves about will we die today in church? It's people who their faith is confronted with that every time they walk out the door. Do you get where I'm coming from? I just want to bring that into our to our to our to our view. Because I just think sometimes or whatever in America, or whatever, sometimes you have to hit yourself with these these realities or whatever because we, we're in such a sanitized space that we forget that this stuff has actually happened. First Corinthians 12, 26. When I tell you I love this text, I love this text right here. I love it with all my heart. And I'm probably at some point gonna get it tattooed on the small of my back. I'm just playing, I'm not gonna do that, sorry. <laughs> a bad joke. Don't think into that. But it might go across my belly somewhere or something. I have the room now whatever. But anyway. But I love the scripture and I love the scripture whatever because whenever we have somebody who's going through hardship in the church and different things come to us, me and leadership, this is the, this is the scripture we go to. It's the scripture we confront ourselves with, right? Like a church is... So, organism just like we are individually, in the sense that you have to nurture the heart of the church, even from an organizational level. Everything has to bow before the feet of Christ, right? And so, when sometimes you know, like we're not a rich church, so we don't have a whole lot of money. So it's not like it's like a bank where you could just run into and be like, "Yo, we got you know, what I'm saying two million just sitting over here, whatever. What well, you got? The problem. light bill's good. You know, we'd be like." We got to see if we can pay our light bill first, and then we're going to come back to you. Like, it's a little different over here. You know what I'm saying? And so, but the thing is, is that we read the scripture because it's like, it's just amazing. So let me read to you. It says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. It's just flat. It's just clean. You get where I'm coming from? You know what it means? It means your pain is my pain. Like, when we're trying to figure out how to actually function relationally inside of the church, this scripture takes you right to it. This is actually when when Christ died for our sins, when he gave us a new heart and made us new creatures, this is what he was doing. The thing he was opening our eyes to, that we were blinded to, that we were in darkness about, like where we actually thought we knew love but didn't know love at all, Because our cultural love has all these different things like, I don't know, they didn't meet this mark. I don't know if that's actually good stewardship. All these 50 million questions we ask to actually get people at a wedge against us. Y'all with me? It has no vulnerability. And you can't be a Christian and not function in vulnerability. Christ did not die on the cross and save us so we could actually put a bunch of walls between us and every single body because we're afraid of being taken advantage of. He gave us everything. He gave us everything. He made us heirs with him. Y'all with me? This, this confronts our cultural strongholds in a big way. It's right there. If one member suffers, all suffer together. A church is built through love. It's built through relationship and it's built to, through togetherness. When we talked about God sanctifying us and maturing us and growing us as a church, he does it by bringing us into proximity. He puts our eyes on Christ. It's just how a marriage works. With a marriage, I always tell couples, I'm like, yo, know, keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't even look at each other and try to work and go like this. Keep your eyes on Jesus and you'll keep going like this. You get where I'm coming from? You, you, neither one of y'all are enough to satisfy each other. You have to be satisfied in Jesus and then you lavish each other with what comes with Christ. And the church is the same thing. The church body is lavished by the love of Jesus Christ and then we begin to lavish each other with that love and begin to tear down walls and, and actually start working towards proximity. It's unlike the world. It's unlike the, it's unlike the world. It's not carnal. It's spiritual. It involves vulnerability, right? So Paul... What he's doing in this text, and I'll start trying to bring us home, he says, now rejoice in my suffering for your sake. And on the tail end of this other side says, for the sake of his body, that is the church. Paul is a bodybuilder. You get where I'm coming from? He's a bodybuilder. God has strengthened him to suffer for the sake of the body. If you're a believer, if you're a part of the royal priesthood, what God is doing inside of your heart right now, you may look at this stuff or whatever, and you may feel some form of conviction where you're like, you know, I don't feel like I actually look at it like this, or, dag, I need to step my game up. That's not what I'm telling you this morning. I'm telling you that as you lean into Christ, as you begin to receive what Christ is doing in your heart, right? As you begin to yield what Christ is doing, when you feel God calling you and he's telling you to pray, or he's telling you, like, be at church, be with the community, be with your people or whatever, right? Not for your own righteousness, but because of what he's done on the cross. You get where I'm coming from? Don't look at the issue. Look at, look at Jesus, right? And Jesus will produce the fruit. You don't work over here. You work right here. You work in believing. As you are believing, what is going to happen is you are no longer are going to switch from being a food eater to a food giver. You get where I'm coming from? There's a point when you're in church and you're just listening. But then it becomes that day or whatever where you don't go get the elders or go get somebody else or somebody you think is strong in the faith to pray for somebody with a problem. You go, I'll pray for you right now. Y'all get where I'm coming from? I'm just telling you where it's going. I'm, I'll pray for you right now. You don't, you, you switch from this place of, wrestling with whether you're worthy enough to actually speak up and encourage somebody or whatever, and you start believing the gospel for real, and you'd be like, me speaking up has nothing to do with whether I'm good enough or anything. It's all about me believing that Jesus is actually good enough, which covers my sins. means I could go run my mouth and talk about them all day. You get where I'm coming from? This gospel is for me. It's for us. It's for sinners. We're saved by grace because of what he has done. Do you get where I'm coming from? That's why that conversation of like do we actually believe is an important one to ask ourselves. Not what you know, but what do you actually believe? Because when we believe, our posture begins to change. Right? When we believe the gospel, our posture changes. 2 Corinthians 5, let me read this to you. I'm going to start at verse 13. It says, if we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. I'm going to ask you all real quick. Whose love compels us? Christ's love compels us. Christ's love. Once again, not our love, not our sweet noble hearts wanting to do good, but Christ's love love. Don't look at the issue, look at Jesus. Our belief in Christ Jesus is what compels us and what produces fruit, right? He says, "...and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but him who died for them and raised them again." Once again, this is Paul suffering for the church. "...I rejoice in suffering for you, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves." The fruit of the gospel is that we begin to exchange our life for others, no longer living for ourselves, right? We begin to actually bring our life to Christ and go, God, what would you have me to do? I want to live over here in this neighborhood. What neighborhood do you say, Lord? God, I want to go ball out on this trip. What do you want me to do with it, Lord? You understand? I'm not giving you a list. This is not the Ten Commandments I'm running down to you. So don't even try to achieve this stuff. Don't go home asking yourself these questions. Because then we slip back into condemnation. Because now we're working to earn a place with Jesus again. That's not why I'm saying this stuff. I'm just talking about the fruit of actually believing in Jesus. That's where the work is at. That's, 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 what, that's where all of this comes from. I'm just telling you what's going to happen and what is happening. It's why we're a church today. Many of y'all in this room, I don't even understand why you're here. You drive from places far away to actually be at this church. It's because of what God is doing in your heart. He's compelled you to. Some of you have hard conversations. There's things we've had to talk about that are very, very uncomfortable. Um, some of us have fallen out before with issues or whatever, and God has compelled you to still keep pushing through It's the power of God. Some of us, or whatever, are so different, nobody in the world would think that we would actually be rolling together or hanging out at each other's house. But God compels us. His love is not entangled in our perspective or our worldview our carnal thought processes. God is doing something different. Do you understand? Some of us, our families have brought us up not to go nowhere near the other race. It's a violation even to even being here together. God compels us. He compels us. It's what Jesus does. I'm going to skip to verse um, 19. It says, and that God was uh, reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against him. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Paul is stating right there, we are actually ambassadors of Christ. God has actually saved me, who was once his enemy, and he has now made me one of his ambassadors. And so God is actually has saved me, and he is making his appeal through me to you. That's when we start serving the food right? That's when it it flips around and you're like, I'm an ambassador. I actually, because of what Jesus has done, not because I was good yesterday, not because I've been on a long stretch where I haven't sinned, not because I've been praying and fasting really, really hard, not because I've been in my devotion every single morning, but because of what Jesus did on the cross and saved me and what God has done by bringing me into his light. I can declare this gospel. This gospel is not about us being awesome. It's about him being awesome. You can be a stone-cold wretch. You ever been just feeling so sinful and low down and dirty and then end up actually preaching to somebody somewhere? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. He doesn't need you to be awesome. And the end of this text... He says, for the sake of his body, that is the church. One thing I, I, I want to end when and bring this together is that um, Paul is a very real person, like right? Like he's, he's not a, um, I don't want to make a jab at, at nothing or whatever. But anyway, he's, he's, not, he's not like, anyway, I got some really bad jokes going through my head. I'm going to keep them to myself. All right, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna keep it to myself. But Paul is about, Paul is real. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 32, he says, he says, if I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Paul is one of those people, he's like, if the gospel of Christ is not real, if this suffering is only based in my warm-hearted heart to want to do goodness. But none of the promises are true. If there's not eternity, if there's not God wiping away tears, if it is not God riding every low-down, broken thing that happens on this earth, if there is no answer for all the kids that get brutalized right now, Or for the fact that there is actually, that that the sex trade is so rampant in our country, even in our city right now. If there is no answer for all the kids that are being brutalized secretly and we don't know about it. If there is no answer for that. If there is no eternal answer for that. He's saying let's eat and drink and let's party. Paul is not a religious nutcase. He believes the gospel of Jesus Christ. But on the flip side of that, if this ain't real, then let's turn up, because tomorrow we're just in a box. So this is where I I leave you at. Like, what do you actually believe? Not what do you know, not what theology can you state, but where does the gospel land at for you? What does it land at for you? This is not something you can compel yourself to even respond to in your flesh, Right, so I don't even want to ask you to, but I want you to ask because I want you in conversation with the Father about it. I want you, I want you to, I want you to ask Him. Like I want you to be real in your conversation with God. Don't sanitize what I'm saying to you in just theological conversation. Like I know how to say this, I know how to state this, I know these things, but like, what is God giving you? What do you believe? What do you believe? I believe that right now there's people in this room right now that are hearing what I'm saying and they're going, God, I see it, I get it, I feel it in a way that I haven't actually thought about before. I get it. I feel that thing. I feel it when I'm just coasting through and I'm on this theological roller coaster and I know all the things to say, but I I don't truly believe I don't truly believe. And if you feel that way, you know different than any of us. You know different than any of us. The wind blows some days, and like I said, I was just struggling through it the other day. I didn't, I didn't believe. I didn't believe. So I was just left to my work of trying to fix it, try to improve it, and I would not rest in the fact that God had already done it. I, 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 I wouldn't rest in the fact that I had no one to impress. I had no, nothing to prove. God's already done it. I was just trapped in my anxiety, trapped in trying to be perfect. I was pulling Jesus on the cross and trying to put myself on it. Y'all get where I'm coming from? So if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, Like, or if you're tired and you're weary and you feel like you're on a treadmill working all the time to try to be good enough, to meet somebody's standard, to respond to all the hyper-religious people that say you are not hitting the mark. We don't rest in the fact of hitting the mark. None of us hit the mark. Jesus hit the mark. That's where our rest is at. We rest in the fact that we get his resume for our jacked-up resume. That's what we rest in. That That is what is the inheritance of the believer. Justification, atonement, iniquities wiped clean, felonies gone because of the work of Jesus. Because of the work of Jesus, all we do is receive. So I want you all to stand We're going to worship this morning. But when we worship, we're going to have somebody up here. And if you feel like God is pushing on your heart, if you feel like you have more questions, if you feel like God, I don't feel like pushing through trying to figure it out anymore. I don't feel like trying to meet people's standards. I don't feel like keep playing the game and doing the double dutch and all of that on life's treadmill. But you feel that God, like the Holy Spirit, is poking you right now and God is calling you and He's becking you forward, all you have to do is surrender. There's no work to be done. All you have to do is trust Him. All you have to do is just lean in and say, God, I surrender. That's it. That's it. So we're going to do that. What we're going to do also, so while we're worshiping, you could come up and somebody could pray with you, but also we're going to take communion right now. Um, I tell people this or whatever and I hope it doesn't sound harsh but I want to be straightforward with you the word of God says if you're not a believer and follower of Jesus Christ it says do not take communion we would love for you to take communion which is why I told you about yielding and following Jesus prior to that and us talking to you about that because communion is for the family of believers it is something that we do in remembrance of Jesus dying on the cross his blood being shed his body being broken so we come to the table and we take communion, and as a family we do that. Because whether we feel like a family some days or not, it doesn't matter. The thing that ties us together is the blood of Jesus, right? So we're going to do that, and we're going to worship. And please come pray with somebody if you feel that you, uh, if you feel like God is leading you to do that. Thank you, y'all.